talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode, finally of like the work <laughs> The Worst Wing, uh, here to talk about formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a modern leftist 2023 socialist perspective. I'm Dave. And I am Stu. And we are glad to be back after our holiday hiatus. Uh, been a little bit busy, but uh, bad. glad to be back at it here discussing this episode, which is episode three of season seven entitled Message of the Week, because it is all about the Vinnick campaign changing their message of the week. So this episode starts off, we're in the car with Vinnick and Bruno in a day of the life sort of thing of the camp of the Vinnick campaign. And it immediately starts off with A-plus material as Alden Alda gets to complain about everything, basically. Yeah, he's just uh, he, bitching and pitching. He complain- <laughs> yep, he complains about the Santos uh, press spot. So this is pulling right from the end of last episode, which is when Santos went and did his military, you know, stunt uh, flying around the jet thing. And so the recap tells us, you know, that they were so psyched about being nine points down. Well, now, viewer, now they are only five points down. Holy fucking shit. Shit balls, holy shit. And uh, they are so psyched to have made this four-point gain uh, just by doing this military stunt. In fact, as the episode goes on, it bumps up one point higher. So now they're only four points down at some point. And so the Santos campaign is so super psyched, and their message is just momentum, momentum, Santos-mentum. Yeah. <laughs> polls, 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 Santos-mentum. Yeah. Sa- Sa- Matt-mentum, Santos-mentum. I'm not sure which one works better. But uh, Alan Alda is pissed, and he's like, "Ah, what do we, we gotta we gotta do something?" And uh, his uh, his Hispanic advisor, Mister, uh, we've seen him for what the whole second episode now, yeah. And suddenly he gets a lot more speaking lines this episode. Uh, his his that advisor shows up and with like an RNC ready to go attack ad about how like oh liberal Santos wants to increase your taxes not like good conservative Alan Alda and it's just like the most generic and like Bruno's like rolling his fucking eyes at it like really like it's the black and white thing and it like zooms in and, yeah you know, like you you've seen this political <laughs> ad fifty hundred times if you've watched TV at all. During politics season. So, and Alan Alda gets to be... Th- this whole episode is basically Alan Alda gets to be the bigger man. Uh, by shooting down these crazy ideas that the crazy Republicans keep throwing at him. Uh, while ignoring that he is, of course, a Republican. And not only that, the Republican uh, who yeah. is running for president. The the anointed candidate of the The head of the, of the party. party. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Uh, but Alan Alda... It's like the bit of the tweet about how, like, reading Mein Kampf but shaking my head to show how I disagree yeah, with it. Yeah, to show how I don't uh, like that, it. That's, that's basically Alan Alda throughout this whole episode as his, like, campaign staffers propose to him various racist things. And he has to be like, no, no, guys, no. Okay, well, maybe that one. But no. <laughs> yeah. No. Until I need it. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know I, I don't know. Well, so, also... um. To avoid the thinking that we are a 
I don't think they say the guy's name once. So when we say Hispanic oh, campaign yeah. advisor, um, his name is apparently Leon Montero. But I think I, I think uh, Vinick says it once when he's like handing in his resignation, like Leon, what's going on? But like that's it. Yeah, that's it. And then he's just. But the thing is, before then, he's just around, and it's right. I, I just think it's also it's not important to point out, but it, it works to point out that like I don't know what the. Who's this guy who now is apparently right. just, like, weighing in on all this shit? Right. Like, he literally <laughs> just shows up out of nowhere. As opposed to, like, you know, uh, what's-her-face from uh, Sheila. Home Improvement. Yeah. Or, uh, or, the, or the main guy. Uh, or Stephen Root or whoever who have yeah. all, like, been there. Stephen Root isn't in this episode for some reason. Maybe he was doing something else. But he'll come back. But my point being, we've seen all of Vinick's other staffers and we know their names and we've gotten even, like, some backstory about how, like, you know... Sheila's uh, a good mom. Um, and She's got kids. Yeah. You, know, the, you know, the three kids from Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> Zachary, Tyler, Ty Daniels. <laughs> Excuse me. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it's really weird that this guy just suddenly starts stepping up and is, like, has a bunch of lines that he was just, like, a background extra before. <laughs> but it's all to make this payoff at the end of the episode where he turns in his resignation because, like... Oh, by the way, I'm Latino, and I can't be going up against the first Latino candidate for president. My grandma just taught her grandkids how to say Santos because she's like so proud. And and they and also I was in the meeting and I heard all the racist suggestions. Well, yeah, and I, let's let's talk about this specifically right now. I don't think the chronology of it is particularly sure. important. It's just it's so and if. I don't know now. I'm watching this with the benefit of hindsight and having viewed it multiple times. But, like, it doesn't super telegraph it with the guy just showing up all of a sudden being... But now watching it again, it's just so fucking, like... It just feels gross and pandering and obvious. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh, yup, this is how they're going to have this conflict play out. And it's like, oh, nope, we've got one episode character Hispanic guy to, like, ride this arc across mm-hmm. one whole show mm-hmm. and I, it just they do this like I said they do this dance where like Vinick himself gets to be the one who mostly says sensible things and nothing too terrible but all his advisors particularly uh, the guy um, uh, the main guy uh, I know him from so many things you know the actor who I'm talking about wait um, what guy the the white guy, not the Hispanic guy. Oh, Brett Colton? No, that's guy. the vice president. Um, N- not the vice president. The, his main white guy advisor. The guy <laughs> with like, the hair. Isn't he from Home Improvement too? I want to say, but like, I don't know. I just think of that because he's with the Home Improvement lady all the time. I don't know. I'll have to go look it up later uh, during the break or something. Yeah, okay. But my point being, he's the one who kind of makes all like the super racist suggestions of like, you should go meet with like the Minutemen. And you should go meet with, like, you know, these these horrible immigration groups that are very racist and whatever. And Vinick kind of gets to seem like the nice Republican by, like, shooting down the more extreme suggestions and instead proposing stuff like a bill that's going to legalize uh, illegal immigrants who are currently working here uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, and are you talking about Stephen Root? No, the, oh, the okay. thinner guy. Like the thinner, handsome, more good-looking oh, guy. Oh yeah, the older. yeah, 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 yeah. You okay. know who I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. 
And I want to say he's from Home Improvement 2. He's not, but <laughs> okay. I just I, my mind wants to think that for some reason. <laughs> okay, I'll look it up on my end. But but anyway, um, like the 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 use of like hammering the Hispanic cultural identity thing is, and that's they do that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and throughout this episode because it's uh, the the real kind of controversial thing that happens is at the end they towards the end of the episode rather both candidates end up taking a tour of the border where right. the kind of the hot button at the time is that the oath keeper threeper types Minute are man. the Minutemen. men they're offering their offering their services to the government to help police the border you know kidnap and execute minorities <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, and so the this this is pre-Trump though, so they are framed more as a, a joke, like an explicit joke of like, look at these fucking dumbass hicks. Well, yeah, and so well they do that, but also they force both candidates to have a position on them to which, treat that, to treat them somewhat seriously. Yeah, yes. which which strikes me as like it, it. I think you're right in that they were supposed to be regarded as a joke and culturally like fuck. I mean, when I when it was 2005 in the point, real world, yeah, it was a, it was a point, fucking joke. Like yeah, the border was not a focus at all, other than like in sort of a homeland security mm-hmm, sense, mm-hmm. Uh, but not but not in the illegal immigrant sense, not nearly as much. That rhetoric hasn't been spun up. Obviously, it was still there. Yeah, and extent, we've always been racist. Those guys were yeah. were present at all. You know, uh, yeah, obviously, it's not like America was great <laughs> on this issue back then. But um, but yeah, it was a lot less focused on before Trump and all that obviously kicked it into higher gear. Yeah, so they're and they're both forced to take a position on this shit, and it's just it's it, hilariously Vinick kind of has to like mid mid flip flop like midway through his speech because he first comes out there to be like, yeah, man, these Minutemen guys, they're what America's all about, you know, securing our border. You know, we we have so much border, we've got to secure it. And then like one of the press people is like, you know, the uh, border patrol hates the Minutemen and thinks that they're dumbass <laughs> vigilantes. Care to care to comment, sir? And he has to go. Uh, I mean, obviously, I agree with the border patrol. These guys are dangerous vigilantes. Well, so I'm glad you I'm glad you you mentioned that because really, what eventually just happens like in real time is just both of these worms have to like twist and spin their party line to right. underline the exact same position. There is no yes. distinction between yes. the Democrats they, and Republicans. They literally both up, end up agreeing, which is something that Santos gets made fun of all throughout the episode because he keeps end up saying, like, you know what? I agree with what Vinick said <laughs> because they end up having Vinick constantly take, like, the reasonable p- Republican position which is what the Democrats want is to be a reasonable Republican. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're fulfilling this. And honestly, like the show is fulfilling this fantasy. And for some reason, they've decided in this episode and frankly, due to the identitarian nature of Santos himself, like in, in, the, in person, they mm-hmm. really try to be like, no, this is the like the synthesis of these right. two Position. positions, right. which Frank, the positions aren't fucking any different. They just happen <laughs> right. to have like, oh no, it's um, it's rubber stamped by the idea that our guy is and 
the fucking subtext is, oh, our guy is one of those people. And so therefore it is okay because he believes that we should be, it's like, it's a, like, and this is like a media literature criticism level here, but it's like, it's just like, oh, this is so gross and pandery. Like, fuck. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's so, it's, and I get like Santos's desires. Like, I don't want to be the quote unquote Latino candidate, but it's like, dude, a too late. You are. You are the Latino candidate. You need to be talking about Latino issues, not all the time, but certainly when the whole gimmick of this episode is that Vinick is pivoting to talk about immigration and these issues that are more Latino focused to not necessarily win over the Latino uh, voter populace, but more just to kind of fuck with the Santos's campaign uh, cycle so that they're kind of off edge and they have to pivot and talk about these issues that they weren't planning on talking about because they figured they had it in the bag like, just because Santos is Latino. And just like, and even describing it, it's just like, oh, of course, it's like 11 dimensional chess here that, oh, we have to do this at this time. And then we can twist the media cycle. And hence, this is the title of the episode. It's message of the week. You know, you pick something that you yep. want to work towards at and a I given think time. the stupidest part of this episode is that it all works. Yeah. Uh, no that, shit. That that Vinick's 12-dimensional bullshit works perfectly uh, and gets him what he wants. And yet, also, the Santos campaign is still gaining. So yeah. it works and doesn't work. Uh, and in the most West Wing way possible, nothing effectively happens. Yeah, it's it's in fear. And again, you know, for, many, for anybody with a political thought in their head watching this, unfold and it would I, be shut down so easily by the santos oh, campaign if sure. they were like thinking straight at all they could just be they could like he could go go speak in front of a latino group and just like call this out as like extremely offensive and like i know what the fucking vinic campaign is doing or whatever and try to and like just speak honestly about like you know, uh, Latino Americans are you know good and hardworking and blah 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 and like boom you win like boom <laughs> Well, and it's you don't also, have to like do this twelfth fall into the twelfth dimensional chess strategy. And I mean, I, I guess ultimately to go back to what I was saying is that they don't want to do that because they believe what the Vinick campaign does. So there's no right. distinction to be drawn. Which, yeah, they ultimately. Yeah, okay. it keeps coming back to like, all right, well, you know what? Securing the border is actually important instead of, as you wrote, like, you should just throw it away yeah. as like a, as a fucking topic. It's like, actually, why are we even having a border? Yeah, like, and I mean, frankly... Change the conversation. Yeah, and, you know, not to like go into like policy planks or positions that you could take. It's just like, well, what if you thought about it even an inkling different from your opponent? But you don't mm-hmm. like you. You are in the fundamentally, fundamentally right. like the neoliberal American hegemony foreign policy space, which is borders good, immigration means tested, and everything mm-hmm. else spools out from there. You can't mm-hmm. get past mm-hmm. anything. Which again is like the what ultimately I take from this is that well, you much like this episode and the writers often do you immediately paint yourself into a corner, into an extremely prescribed policy space. Yeah, you nailed it. They limit the scope intentionally because they can't even conceive Mm -hmm. of things outside (laughs) the quote-unquote like serious person mind bubble of like, 
You know, they're just like, well, we can argue about the number of guards on the border, but not the fundamental question of why is the border so heavily guarded. Yeah, and what happens if it's not, or, you know, what if we do something different? what if we do it a different way? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like, this is not the only way a border can be run. But in in terms of the West Wing, it might as well be. Well, and I think this is... uh, This is probably why I get so frustrated in these campaign season arcs. It's because I could, and again, from the benefit of hindsight, I get it. But like, I could, I know exactly what's going to happen. Because Mm -hmm. there isn't any potential other outcome. No. You can't have anything happen because none of the people who are writing it and none of the characters that they have written can create a different outcome. have had any true vision or beliefs or or anything like that they can only reproduce what they've seen before yes so the real problem here is that also this is the campaign this is when big bold ideas are supposed to be floated you know and then you you kind of like you ratchet it back down once you're in office you know a little or a lot depending on the actual president but, like, in theory, the campaign season is when you're supposed to make your huge, giant, sweeping pitches. Like like Santos's education plan, which is sure. a big, sweeping change. You know, still kind of neoliberal, ultimately. But at least, you know, it's talking about really fundamentally getting in there and changing the education system. Whereas here, with the border stuff and the immigration stuff, we're right back to twiddling knobs. You know, instead of making sweeping visions and policy changes. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I, I honestly don't didn't pay too much attention to it, but I don't even understand, like, so actually, let's take a break because I want to talk about the demographics and the home state thing in this context. <laughs> so let's Excellent. take a break here and we'll get right back to it. So the train of thought that I was going down was basically like they don't really even explicate why they are particularly going to the border to meet with these things. There is some shenanigans that Josh takes up where they like, you know, shuffle around some trips and some appearances and stuff to sort of like capitalize counter on what yeah. Vinick has done. Yeah. So Vinick cancels uh, a meeting with the veteran of foreign wars um, so that he can instead have a campaign meeting and change up this message of the week to attack the Santos campaign. And so Josh immediately is like, well, fuck, get Santos in with the veterans of foreign wars. And they do, and that helps them out. Um, but yeah, the, also part of it is not just we're hitting Santos on Latino stuff, but part of it is also someone suggests at one point like, hey, go to Hawaii or go to some sort of blue state that you would think that we would never normally go to because it's not battleground. And make him <laughs> make him defend a state he wasn't expecting to defend. That's a way you could fuck with him. And they're like, no, no, not fucking Hawaii, but Texas. But Texas, maybe it Wait, would maybe, work for us. Maybe we could d- double dip a little bit when when we're talking about this immigration stuff and try to fuck with uh, Santos automatically claiming Texas as his home state 
So this is the stupidest part of this whole election is that it starts off with the prior assumption that one, one always wins one, one's home state, uh, which is not true. <laughs> and two, yeah. uh, the home state of the Republican is California, therefore it's going red. And the home state of the Democrat is Texas, therefore it's going blue. And this just leads to the craziest fucking election map uh, that we're going to see by the end oh, of yeah, this because thing. We- like even as a work in progress, the, the the map is fucking insane. Like you watch them do the little scribbly ends on the whiteboard, and it's like what? Because Maine is a battleground but, state. Yes, I mean, I'm, uh, technically, I guess that this has happened a little, but still, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. There's just so many jokes here that basically write themselves from what what the campaign thinks are battleground states and what the campaign thinks are safe. Uh, red or blue states well and so they ultimately it's another demographics fallback like Mm -hmm. oh you identify as a hispanic man and you're from texas and so therefore you are the hispanic texas hispanic like that's who wins it and it's the, the the priors like you said they just they lead to such stupid Conceits like by, I just by no means is winning your home state a guarantee. We've seen this in real life, and even more so when the states are California and Texas, and they are so fucking huge in terms of full of people, uh, lots of different types of people. I know, you know, in living memory, Ronald Reagan won Texas, you know, or, or sorry, not Texas, California. Uh, and California went red, you know, in 1984 and 1988. Yeah. But, but since then... But every other state went red in 1984. <laughs> since, yeah, yeah. In 1988, <laughs> literally every state but Minnesota went red. Yeah. Um, or 84, correct. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so I get that in theory, red California is possible. But in the fiction of the show, it makes even less sense because, spoiler alert, like in a few weeks... Some sort of nuclear accident is going to happen in the fictional California of the West Wing. And it turns out Arnold Vinick signed some sort of thing that, like, deregulated the nuclear safety codes. And so (laughs) California would get fucking pissed at Arnold Vinick. And I don't think he's going to win California after that happens. But he does. (laughs) My my favorite thing to deregulate. Nuclear safety. Nuclear safety. (laughs) (laughs) Well... And this is, I think we've said this before, that because California and Texas are like one and two mm-hmm. in electoral votes, the show, the writers of the show, A, consciously knew this at mm-hmm. the outset. They elected to make these characters from these places because this is all happening post Sorkin. And B, they don't fucking do anything about it. They just... They're just, they're just like, oh, no, like, this is what's going to happen because they're from those states. Right. That's so boring. Right. There's so much interesting drama that could be mined from, like, oh, fuck, I've got to fucking fight for my home state. And, like, they go there a little bit with Santos in Texas, I think, because I remember sure. on election night they make a big deal of, like, he won Texas, he won Texas. And, like, they weren't fully sure if they if that was going to happen or not. But, yeah, Vinick's got California under a lock for the whole thing, even with the nuclear thing. And it's just a shame because there's great drama to be mined out of like, oh, shit, we're losing in California. We've got to go back there and like tour, you know, uh, L.A. or whatever. But, oh, L.A. hates us. We're Republicans. You know, like, <laughs> what, what do you do to like fix California if, if they hate you? You know what I mean? Like well, that could have been an interesting plot line. 
For sure, yeah. You could come up with some crazy ass shit to be like, oh, of course. Like, if if Texas is trending red, how do we how do we Capitalize. navigate the space mm-hmm. of a of a of a against a Hispanic? But they don't. Like, they don't no. even they don't even like attempt to no. dig in on this they're, because they're not even again, battlegrounds. Yeah. Well, and they they because they take the easy way out with the fucking border. It's like it's like our cops. Like, no. There's no alternative. It's like Republicans want to give the cops a bajillion more dollars in funding and the Democrats want to give the cops a bajillion dollars and like rainbow flags for their uniforms. <laughs> like there's no daylight and some between training. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no daylight between those positions and it's so boring. I'm just yeah. like, come on guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a real shame. I do I do like how uh, uh, both campaigns basically keep getting calls from like these non battleground states to be like, Hey, come have your candidate do a event here. And they both have to be like, no, fuck you. You're not a battleground state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I just what are you, what are you talking funny. about? <laughs> talking about Michigan and you know, lo yeah. and behold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And it also paints to like campaign hubris. Cause really every state is a battleground state in theory. Now, obviously, you know, some are like 30 points ahead and some are, are 10 points ahead. But, like, you know, you, you should be thinking, like, 50-state strategy or whatever. That's what Bruno would That's what Bruno would be saying. Uh, and speaking of Bruno, let me talk about Bruno for a minute. Yeah, go for it. We, we have to talk about Bruno. <laughs> so, we, as I said, we open with Bruno in the car, kind of, like, eye-rolling at the shitty RNC ad. And, and kind of, <laughs> he's there to be, like, the better angel on Vinick's shoulder, basically, and tell him, like, no, 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 that's stupid. I'm smart. Let's do the smart thing, not the stupid thing. And that's what we love Bruno for. But there's a great moment where he goes to meet uh, to do debate negotiations with Josh and uh, Handsome Advisor. And um, they don't negotiate anything. <laughs> like, not number of debates, <laughs> not format, not length of debates. But the whole thing ends up just being a stunt for Bruno to do a press conference in front of the Santos head cam- uh, campaign and uh, basically just repeat all of that, that they negotiated nothing, and then do a stealth little thing of like, well, I guess there's not a lot to negotiate because Santos just agrees with everything Vinick says anyway. And like Mike Drop walks away. <laughs> and then Josh and the handsome guy are both like, oh, he played us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think one thing that we always come back to with the show is how much it both reflects and prefigures politics in general in this country, which I've been thinking a lot about this week in terms of like a a hegemonic um, thing between the media and the political class in the United States, especially, you know, in in context of COVID, uh, which I'm always fucking thinking about. And it's just, (laughs) it is the kind of the contrast that I draw between someone who watches this show and loves it because they deeply identify with, oh, these are the these are the the struggles and the like the drama of working in this field and I love it and I want to think it is it's deeply disturbing to not watch this from an immediately critical perspective. Like I I mean it it kind of goes without saying because we've been doing this fucking show for three years now. But like, I I just it it boggles my mind 
to watch, especially an episode like this, and not come away with it just being just incensed yeah. about how be, fucking stupid all this stuff Be mad is. at the show. Yeah, well, it's really... Just the second you think critically about the show at all, so much of it just flakes apart like good fish, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I think also, like, the... It it makes me kind of weep for a past where, I mean, I guess I specifically, and just we generally, people... Watched it. (laughs) Just watched stuff or, like, consumed things without sort of thinking about them like right. what's even what's even the point like i've got so many other things to do in my life god it sounds awful like, <laughs> yeah no i mean and that, like that's how i watched the show the first time i was working like this shitty uh nighttime casino job and i you know just to to get through it i was like oh here there's a show with martin sheen and look at all these attractive people and they're talking mm. and it, like you just kind of let it wash over your brain and you don't think about it too hard and it's great it's great entertainment yeah and there's a cadence to sorkinism and mm-hmm. sort of the thing that that locks your brain into a like a faux intellectual it lulls you. like yeah yeah cuz it's got that musical cadence yeah exactly it lulls you yeah. into this like smug sense it's, it's of like, like a groove, oh, yeah <laughs> i'm watching smart tv for adults mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah. like no one no one's like sho- shoving a knife into a guy's eye or whatever they're talking <laughs> so like um actually i was talking about this on Brett and roses earlier today it was um we're talking about if anybody else has ever seen uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot. I'm sure many of our listeners have watched that. Like, I remember uh, it was the like a show that was pivotal to me to be like, don't just watch stuff. Like, either think about it and then also just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because in the 40th episode of that show, they go completely off the rails and start making absolute dog shit television <laughs> after two and a half seasons of, of making brilliant great technically shit. like revolutionary and yeah. wonderful storytelling of this show and then when i specifically that first remember because that was like that was really ahead of its time when it first came out absolutely well, it was like it yeah. was like golden age tv before that had really caught on it, i mean it was it was in 2004 when right. it started so, so it, was it just ran right up like till, right when that yeah. golden age is starting Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. And it's just, you know, I remember specifically because I didn't watch it when it was live because I didn't have cable or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, I was streaming it. I lived in Dallas and I was in my apartment. And like, I had spent several nights in the last couple of weeks, like watching television till four in the morning mm-hmm. because I couldn't stop so and going to good. work just destroyed. Yeah. Each <laughs> then, one, each like, one, you just want to see what happens next because it's so and then, good. Yeah. And then the time it happens next, and I'm, I specifically remember it was like 11 o'clock when I hit this episode, and I'm sitting there going like, I hate this so much. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And I think that really flipped me around just to be like, you have to kind of take at least some sort of involvement, investment in the media you consume in that way. And it turns out, like, living my life that way has been a net benefit from there on. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get sucker punched by that sort of thing uh, as much, hopefully. Uh. But, <laughs> um, let me talk about one other thing, which is the pro-life judges. So this oh, is yes. the other like kind of third plot going now throughout this episode, besides the campaigns warring at each other, is uh, that Vinick is getting pinned down by the religious right 
to make a commitment on like, hey, you have to promise us you will support pro-life judges, pro-life judges. We are all about pro-life judges. And again, this is something that the show, I'm going to give a little credit for calling in advance because here we are in 2023 and Roe is dead. And it's because the GOP (laughs) kept focusing on these fucking pro-life judges. So yeah, they do hit it hard. But Vinick, since he's semi-pro-choice, you know, they call him fully pro-choice, but you know, that's according to the religious right. Uh, But he's like, you know, he's semi pro-choice uh they're they're freaking out and then he's like he keeps trying to fob them off on like no no my vp he's one of you crazy christian conservative religious nuts don't worry i'm gonna roll all my judge selections by him you love him therefore you'll love my judge selections right and and the church guy's like no we need a fucking guarantee and so vinick pulls a great move that i wish he had thought about and talked about with Bruno because I bet Bruno would have found a smarter way to do this. But Vinick pulls a great move of just flat out lying to the church guy <laughs> and being like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Fine. I promise you. Pro-life judges. Book it. Done. And uh, and then he's like, was, and then he tells his uh, advisors, he's like, yeah, and the second we get into the White House, don't ever let that guy in and I'm going to pick whoever the fuck I want to pick. <laughs> yeah, it's... Which I, I think is like, that's very honest. And yeah. I think that happens a million times. It's just not, yeah, ex- no shit. not, it's just not made as explicit as the show makes it. But yeah, <laughs> I think this is an extremely normal campaign interaction that the show has to treat as if it's like, you know, crazy and abnormal and all his advisors Whoa. go like, whoa, you <laughs> lied in politics? Well, and th- frankly, I, I mean, the bringing... The, the charisma to this sort of role that it needs to be. You mentioned the actor who plays Ray Sullivan. It's Brett Cullen mm-hmm. um, comes in Does to kind of smooth job. things over. Yeah. Does an incredible job because he's like the consummate slimy, yes. but also very charming. handsome and yeah. charming. But it's like the, the perfect role. He nails it. He just nails this yeah. perfect combination of like Southern governor <laughs> Of like, yeah, exactly. uh, of, of, you know, if like they <laughs> fucking look through his property, they would find some shit. But like, he is the most charming white man in a suit, smiling, shaking your hand kind of thing. Like, yeah, he nails this energy so perfectly, this actor. So uh, whenever I think of him, I'm always tempted to say, and it's because he shows up as a as the eventual um, in the Supremes. Right, I, w- I want oh. to say it's will it's William Fickner, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. And <laughs> I wrote this down. I, I have a roster of character actors who are not Fickner, not not and Bill Fickner. <laughs> Brett Cullen is like number one or two on like because I think of Greg German, who was he was an Ally McBeal. My God, I'm dating myself here. Um, <laughs> and also like I think Sig Hansen from Deadliest Catch <laughs> looks exactly like Fickner. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> But yeah. also, he's I, got I that Fickner energy a little. <laughs> that that Brett Cullen is the son of like an oil executive, like a billionaire. Oh no wonder! And like it's he, it's no in his he can blood. Pull this off so yeah, well. like, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. That explains so much. He's grown up around this type his entire life. Also, As an actor, that's like the perfect you know research right there. Also, both him and Fickner, born in Houston. In 1966 or 56. Oh, maybe they Same are brothers, city, like separated. Maybe at they birth. are. You know, <laughs> maybe that's those why weird they billionaire like... sex parties. You, you know. never know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, legally, legally, we are required to say that Will Fickner and Allegedly. Bechtel are not related. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Our lawyers have advised us to use the word allegedly. Uh, yeah, but no, I do love that Vinick just like flat out lies to the guy and is basically treating the religious right kind of shittily the whole time. He's like, he keeps calling them like your club or your organization. And the guy has mm-hmm. to be like, you mean my religion? <laughs> yeah. And I think... Um, even though it's sort of, it's a it's a somewhat condescending Hollywood liberal treatment of it, of it's religion, like yeah, I, yeah, I, like I think I honestly, think this is like, how campaigns do treat yes the, the, they, they the churches to. though absolutely because like you, you can't just anywhere. put them in charge yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're fucking crazy <laughs> like you, if you can't just like kowtow to all their demands they'll drive your campaign into the fucking dirt as they have you preaching about like Gog and Magog on the campaign trail. And yet here we are. Yeah. With a well, Catholic you keep it all, majority. Well, you keep it all hidden. Is is what you actually do? Uh, Vinick is not as as savvy about this because, like you said, he has a very liberal kind of anti-religious mentality. Since liberal writers are writing him, where mm-hmm. you know he mm-hmm. he doesn't go to church. He's not really like a true believer. Uh, you know, so he could view this all kind of cynically as like, well, I need to court the religious right or whatever. Whereas opposed to like, you know, so, uh, the VP guy, Sullivan, is a true believer and is like, yeah, man, fuck it. Woohoo. No abortions. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, you said something about, oh, yeah, because it's um, they're They don't have the Atwater with them. No. no. Like you can't do the you know you can't say n-word 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 it hurts right. you with religion you right. have to you you say things like partial birth and you know right it, it's not baby murder it's like compassionate care right like you know right. you this find thing. all it's these like, euphemisms yeah it's it's so much harder to euphemism around because people know exactly what you're talking about right abortion it's one of those things it's like uncontrolled it's it's just a lightning rod like you're never gonna find like this perfect way of phrasing it that gets like 90% of people to agree with you. Yeah. And to, again, the show's limited credit, they have a very contemptuous relationship with the religious right, which, yeah. okay. Uh, and with the press. Uh, so this is another oh, yeah. episode of the press <laughs> are jackals, uh, which I love uh, because yes, the media is the enemy of the people. And uh, at one point Santos uh, has to explain a couple of things to reporters, and they immediately act like the worst type of online, like, Twitter trolls, where as soon as he says a normal, comprehensible sentence, they immediately jump to the most bad faith conclusion imaginable yeah. and ask a ridiculous <laughs> follow-up question. Uh, what, what was the example? Uh, oh, yeah, so uh, it's like... Uh, uh, Mr. Santos, uh, Arnie Vinnick wants to double the border. Do you think that's a good idea? And Santos is like, huh, I don't know how he's going to afford doubling the border with all his tax cuts. Like, And then the press immediately is like, oh, so you agree doubling the border is a good idea. We just can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it's just like, I I don't know. The... The, the media is very bad, like, in real life and also in this show. It's just yeah. but it's, like, listening to them write these things into these reporters' mouths. It's just like, oh, yep. We, we uh, know how you feel about this. And Vin- Vinick goes on hardball with Chris Matthews. And oh, Josh, is, sake, yeah. Josh is watching it and is cheering on Chris Matthews to ask harder and harder questions. And it's the most fucking pathetic thing I've seen. 
Oh, I'm winning. Oh, yeah. Get skewer him Come, good. Come on, Chris. Hit him with the right and the left. <laughs> like he's cheering uh, the TV, wanting to make it happen. It's like a sports fan, but it's for Chris Matthews on hardball. Yeah. <laughs> I just found God. that very funny. Uh, yeah, this is a good Josh gets owned episode, I guess, even yes, though as is. the Santos campaign stays winning uh, and is closing the gap and everything, Josh gets incredibly shit on throughout the entire episode. And it's mostly Janine Garofalo just calling him up saying, oh, we got a problem. Well, and hey, I think, um, you know, not to undo the last 35 minutes of talking about it, like, yeah, this is a fine episode. Like, it's got better energy. It totally you know, was. You s- switch it up, like, it with totally the Santos was. campaign instead of yeah. the Venet campaign. Like, uh. as, as I said before we started the call, I, like, throughout the episode, I was enjoying it. And then, like, only toward the end did I start to realize, like, 45 minutes have gone by and nothing really happened. And I kind of got that West Wing bad aftertaste in my mouth at that point. But yeah, uh, the the fresh energy of following the Vinick campaign around, I think, really helped as opposed to just another day in the life with the Santos campaign. Because uh, it's been a while since we've seen the Vinick advisors and the team and all that. And uh, and Alan Alda is, of course, very fun. Yeah, uh, delightful. And like I said, it's always fun to watch him complain, and he has a lot to complain about in this episode. <laughs> I think that was the secret of MASH. He, he mostly complained on MASH. I think that's his <laughs> wheelhouse, you know? Houlihan, she just, she won't take her clothes off around me. What's the <laughs> and deal? All these, and all these people keep dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> anyway, I think, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. <laughs> Uh, definitely. Uh, thanks as always for listening. You can always comment in either one of our threads on either Something Awful or Brendan Roses. Uh, if you found the show a different way and have no idea what the fuck threads are, hi, hello, welcome. And if you'd like, you could always email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always <laughs> nice. We love to hear your comments, your questions, uh, any sort of feedback you feel like reaching out with. Uh, but yeah, that will do it for this episode of The West Wing. Here on The Worst Wing, and we'll be back hopefully soon to discuss the next episode. Yeah, we're going to, I think um, there, there might be a time, and it depends on when we watch the next one, like we might start having to double up again, because I can't. Yeah, just I to can't. power through season seven. I just Especially can't do it. Once they get off the campaign, if we get two episodes back to back that are White House, <sighs> Space Shuttle, Toby bullshit, we are absolutely yeah, combining those definitely two. definitely combining them. I mean, because we got to... Campaign, we got to power through to the campaign end. energy can keep us going for a bit, but once we get back to the White House, it's going to get rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, all right. stay safe out there and stay uh, safe, y'all. Have fun. Catch you next Bye. time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.